0: Holy schmoly, look at that. This weather journal has been around for over 50 years. I would have never thunk it. I wonder what things they were researching back then. Welcome to What Is It About the Weather? A podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelanek. And this week we're going to be talking about when weather was. Before we get there, hope you're doing well. Hope your weather world is treating you properly, and keeps you in a happy frame of mind, it's been kind of active for me this week. We had a little bit of a, I don't, there was a, I guess a worrisome, kind of, had a nor'easter, for those that aren't familiar, it's kind of a thing in the New England area of the United States, but it's a storm that can be as powerful as I would say, you know, a low-end hurricane, but tend to happen a little later in the season a little early for them to happen lots of wind can also be a lot of precipitation now because they're usually more of a wintertime thing it usually falls the snow this was a concern particularly after ida and Henri, with all the flooding in the area so some schools even closed early well it didn't even close early closed before they open Overall, did we get some flooding? Was there a lot of rain? Yes. Did it turn out to be probably as bad? No. But the further the storm went up the coast, they did have more wind and people still without power. I think even now uh, trying to bring all that back because you know, always the challenge when you get a lot of rain with the wind is it makes it easier for things to get uprooted, right? Soil gets softer. So a little trickier, but I haven't heard any major catastrophic sort of things in terms of loss of life or anything or property. So I'm I'm glad to hear that. But that's been going on in my world. Over in Europe, they've had a Medicaid this week. Now, I know you first, think it's no, it's not Medicare. No, it's not medicine. When I did a search in Google on this, because I was looking for a link to put in the show notes, they actually, it said, did you want to talk about medicine? No, I didn't want to talk about medicine, Medicaid. So this is a storm that the structure is very much like a tropical cyclone that you've heard me talk about before but it happens in the mediterranean and the water temperatures there certainly are not as warm as they are in the tropics but the overall structure tends to be the same although they tend never to get as powerful and that probably does there there probably is a limiting factor in terms of size for a couple reasons one is there's just not that much open water with them to work with But there's probably some limiting factor in how strong they can get because they're truly not built over those warm waters that essentially feed hurricanes. In any case, they've been dealing with flooding over there. And yeah, it's just been kind of an active weather week for me. But you know, I had a lot of weather related things that had nothing to do with the weather, kind of like this podcast. First, I want to give a shout out to Kevin, longtime listener to the podcast I think he's been around for ages and ages. And actually, you know, it was some him, input from him that led to me doing a series back in the day about where your weather forecast actually comes from. And he reached out after my comments about uh, the COVID and how it's changed listing habits. And it definitely has impacted his. Uh, again, not a surprise. And some feedback that I had received is along those lines think in general what he experienced was probably similar to i know what my experience has been which is the disruption in the commute cycle this this lack of commute and while you still might be doing things that drive a desire to have content that's you know in a podcast form or whatever i think it has shaped that people want do want a little shorter episode doesn't mean that they want their overall content time to diminish but maybe the time when they're listening to it is chopped up a little differently. So listening to a big long hour or two hour long podcast is a little more tricky and i know that's the same for me i have and you've heard me mention the daily tech news show before is one i listen to and i like that they have they have an option so they have for those that support their podcast through patreon they have a way to go in and get this longer feed that has them doing show intro and just you know, life stuff but then they also have the core show that's kept to a very specific time and that, their their aim is about 30 minutes so i've had to generally make the transition to that shorter show much of the time when I'm listening, because I don't have the time just to sit down and have this other thing going on in the background, or there's stuff going on around me where I can't just openly leave something playing. So again, I think it's relevant here as well. I also, so thanks to Kevin for reaching out and giving me that feedback. It's good to hear from you. It has been a while. I got feedback that I'm going to indeed be presenting at the AMS conference this upcoming January. Now, it's physically in Houston. I've got to make the decision whether I'm going to go to Houston or whether I'm going to try to pre- present remotely. Uh, i got to make that call in the next 10 days or so, so I'll have to figure that out. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a future episode. I don't want to dwell on it today. I did also, just as a kind of a, let's call it a bookkeeping item, in the Apple feed, it's currently missing one of the episodes. So I did the episode a few shows back about weather and fertility, And when I originally put it in, and I think this is what triggered the problem. I had two shows that were showing up as the happening on the first of October. And it's because one of them, I forgot to change the date and to the eighth. But when I updated and fixed everything that one from October 1st disappeared. So if there's any Apple folks out there and you did not hear that or see that, let me know. Cause I know it's not up in the feed. Now I am. I just wanted to reaffirm whether it was there for a while. Um, Either way, what is it about the weather at gmail.com. You can let me know. It's probably the best way to do that. Of course, you can hit me up on Twitter or the podcast on Twitter, Mark underscore Jelinek, or what is it about the weather? Either any of those avenues works well. All right, so whatever way you could pop me a message, I'd be curious to know because I'm still working with Apple to get it reinserted. And you know, at first I thought maybe because it had something to do with fertility, and maybe they thought I needed to put some sort of other marker on it, which I didn't with the episode. It was not problematic in that regard. But any case, want to know if at least at some point it was in the Apple feed out there so I can use that in my diagnostic process with Apple as we try to get the episode, for whatever reason, to get it reinserted because I don't see anything in the feed itself that's problematic and it's showing up everywhere else. About done with the survey. What is weather.com slash survey? That's it. In November, I am going to do an episode where we talk about it and how those sort of things, along with emails like I got from Kevin, kind of shape where I'm going. It's not that I want to reduce the content, but I do think that this show is going to continue to be in that kind of 20 to 25 minute range. It it does seem to be the sweet spot, which most people can work with, but we'll talk more about that soon. And lastly, before we get to the main topic, meta, right? Facebook, meta. The the reason meta means anything to me is metadata is something that's very big in my field. And and all that is, and it's really has to do with this metaverse, and it has to do with filling in the gaps, if you will. It's the best way I know to describe it to people. So with metadata, which we tend to do a lot with any sort of data file you work with, that the data's there and it's great, but you don't know if there were any challenges in putting that data together or any limiting information and and this has to do with tropical cyclones when you look at that historic record and you're going back to let's say the 1800s or even anything pre-satellite and you're looking at all that data there are usually qualifying pieces of information that tell you why the piece of data the value that's there that you're going to do some sort of analysis on is what it is. And metadata quite often can be bigger than the data file itself in some cases when, or at least the individual record when you're describing how all that took place. And this whole, I I don't know, the metaverse thing that Facebook, that one's straight out creepy to me and it may be one of the reasons I don't do Facebook much anymore. All these companies, every one of them out there has way too much information on us. And I I recognize that. But I also recognize it's part of the time that we live in. And some of that information really doesn't matter. But I really don't want something... I don't know. I saw the the kickoff video for this, and living in this virtual world, too many weird movies about that. We'll we'll get to that in the future. But I don't want virtual weather as an example. I want real weather, and I don't want to be in some world that I don't experience real. Yes, can it complement the real? Is there a place for it? Sure, but we'll see where all that goes. All right, let's get on to the main topic. When weather was right. Let's talk a little bit about how we got here. We're going to look back in time. And this is actually, what I'm doing today is a little bit of what I might do sometime in the future. Other podcasts do this from time to time. I mentioned one earlier. They do this thing once a month where they kind of look at the, the tech news from five years ago because, you know, so much has changed. In this case, I'm looking, it's kind of like doing weather and history. It's looking a little bit back in time and I thought it would be interesting to do that. And it really was prompted by a few things. One is I truly was looking at a journal and it said volume 68. Now a volume number on a scientific journal usually tells you how many years it's been around. does it always hold true to that because sometimes years get skipped. Sometimes volumes can bridge a time period more than a year. Generally though that's what it is. And that's why you might have you know, volume 50 and, you know, issue, whatever. And it'll, again, if it's a monthly, it'll be 12 issues if they end up doing one every month and so on, all right? And there was a journal, and it was this International Journal of Biometeorology that was, it was actually, it was much more than 50. It was 68 was the volume number. And I was like, wow. And so I kind of started flipping back and looking at it. Now, a lot of them were in languages I didn't know. And so I do think it was a way for a lot of non-English authors to be able to have a place that they could publish that maybe they were in a country that just didn't have a dedicated journal, or they weren't part of, you know, a, a bigger community where it was able, easy to do that, yet they had something relevant to publish. But other things kind of prompted this look back in time. I mentioned in last week's episode that I saw, a, you know, a good friend of mine, and we were reminiscing about things in the past, when Radio Was, have you ever heard that show? You heard me say that. We're going to do When Weather Was. But When Radio Was was a show that I used to listen to. It's actually still around. I was kind of surprised to hear that. That was syndicated on like, you know, public broadcasting radio. And they'd have a show once a week. Maybe it sometimes played a couple of times on the weekend. And it was even older radio shows. So now it was covering shows that are, you know, from. It was considered the golden age of radio from, let's say, the 40s, 50s, you know, 60s before TV really kicked in. And it was a lot of shows that I used to like, like Dimension X, the old sci-fi shows and stuff like that. In any case, that popped in my head recently. But another one that really kind of cracked me up was PowerPoint presentations, right? So for those that were kind of in the business PowerPoint era, yes, PowerPoint still used, right? Or some variation of that. But more and more presentations have different components to it. Sometimes it's just a recording of a speech. Sometimes it's not as critical because there is going to be a video of a presentation captured. Whereas in the past, having that little, what would be called a slide deck, you know, you had this thing, but there were precursors to that, right? And I, I was even thinking about that. Like when I was learning algebra in school we had you know it was the age of those projectors right where it's a little thing light got turned on so it was kind of after chalkboards not that chalkboards went away right but it was a way for teachers to share some stuff and I used to literally my algebra teacher had one of the ones that had the little It was like a roll of the film, you know, the clear plastic film that she would literally write down all this stuff and then she would roll it a little bit and then she'd start writing the next thing. But that way she had a history and in concept, she could use it again. I don't know if she ever did. I got the impression. Yeah, but some, some people wrote right on the projectors. I had teachers when I went back, got my master's degree in, you know, 2005 to 2007 that were still using them. And when I taught in 2017, right? at Georgia Tech there were still they were in the classrooms because from time to time people still had stuff that had not been moved to some sort of digital platform yeah by then that was the truly the exception not the norm but the fact that they were even in the room still always made me crack up a little bit but before there was powerpoint when i was an intern at ibm back when i was doing my undergrad there was this thing called freelance graphics right and then we use this thing to create these goofy little things that were printed on little sheets of plastic that they would then put on those projectors but that was it was like so cool back then and everybody loved that i could create these things and they had me do them and you know, you only had so many colors to work with i don't know if anybody remembers computers from back then but you know there was kind of like back with cga graphics and so you had kind of black and white and one of the main color combinations was this cyan magenta choice but trying to create these things we had little plotters literally with little ink pens in them that went around and plotted these things out and you had to let them dry all this stuff i enjoyed doing it looking back on it by today's standards no one would even think that was even worth doing but in the day, it showed that you were on top of the technology, right? As much as anything else, that you were using what was in, what was available, even if it was a little goofy, because you did. You had all the same thing that you did with Power Boy when it came out—all these little goofy graphics that everybody reused, right? But I was looking at all that stuff, and it got got me thinking about, well, what what was weather really like back then? What were they really looking into, right? And so I, I just picked 50 years ago. For a few different reasons. One, just has a family members that's recently celebrated a 50th wedding anniversary. The home that I grew up in as a kid is about to turn 50 years old. And quite frankly, I did it as much for the state of computers, because this was right before there were floppy disk. And yes, I know there's a whole bunch of people out there that might be listening to this that don't even know what a floppy disk is. Well, I know what they are. I lived through the whole iteration from when they were big and truly floppy to small and little in three and a three and a half inch little nice plastic cassette, so that they didn't get scratched up and things like that. But I know there's plenty of people that don't just like they don't know what cassette tapes are or whatever. But using computers prior to that was pretty different because either getting the data in the computer, one, there wasn't you know it. It's not that computers couldn't do a lot of things that they do today. They just didn't have the memory stores to be able to do everything. And and trying to get the same analysis done was challenging, to say the least. right? So I thought it'd be good to look back in that time. So I went and here's what I found, generally speaking. Some journals actually didn't exist, which surprised me a little bit. There were ones that I would have thought would have been around that long that weren't. And others that have been around a really long time like that one i found that i was sort of surprised and then there were some that i know that have been around 100 plus years and you know kind of the benchmark bellwether journals in in the field and i'm guessing that's true across you know a lot of scientific fields as well so in some ways that was a little surprising but there's no doubt that particularly in meteorology in like I said, it's probably something we see in a lot of fields. Things have come a long way. For meteorology, I still think the biggest thing, probably, in terms of not just how quick computers are, you know, those those are sort of obvious things, is the data. And again, part of that is because storage is so easy now. You think about the hard drive in most computers or in your phone, right? Your phone can hold more, I mean, a hard drive when I was, you know, back in the 80s, a, a 10 megabyte hard drive was pretty cool. 20 was huge. Megabyte. So I can take a picture on my phone today that won't even fit on a hard drive that existed back then. Keep that in mind. So if I take a high resolution picture, it can take more space than a hard drive from the late 1980s, a standard hard drive. Incredible when you think about that. But the sheer volume of data that we have that we can crunch is now significantly larger because of that and I even one of the papers that I pulled up so I pulled up like seven articles I just kind of flipped through a few journals from October literally from this month this year back then or 50 years ago so 71 and I was surprised at other things like satellite imagery there was one about lake effect snows which caught my attention because you guys know I'm one, I, I mean, I even did a project on that as an undergrad, and it was—it's part of science that's always interested me in terms of meteorology, that how they form and all those sort of things. And I'm looking at these satellite images that they had, and them even trying to see lake effects. So how how poor the quality was, how low the resolution was. It was amazing they were even able to come up with what they did. It's kind of a neat paper. Wouldn't be interesting to you as a group, but it was to me scientifically. So much of stuff was still done by hand back then. Computers were there. There were some graphics created. But I just imagined this. Think about how hard it was to put something together. I saw a typo in an article. And I just have to imagine how hard it would be just to correct a simple typo back then. Right? And the other thing that hit me was fewer references and how long the progression was between a paper being published back then to a next step. Because... One, you had to submit it. Two, it had to be reviewed. Three, it had to be published. Four, it had to be read by people. So you, again, this is back when people still went to libraries and looked at everything. But even just finding that information and knowing what's been done and trying to build upon it, was, it was a time-consuming thing that just didn't happen as fast. But on the flip side of that, there were things that I was surprised that were going on back then that were still relevant today. And I'm going to cover just a couple of them, all right? And like I said, this may be something that we do more in the future. I may, you know, just pick a random year, or there may be a topic going on that I'll be curious, but I want to be able to look far enough back in time to know what, you know, to make it sound interesting. But one that hit me was this thing. The title was related to how topography hits atmospheric, planetary-level atmospheric behavior, all right? But when I dug into the article, I came to find out that it specifically had to do with Mars. And so this was a 1971 article. So 70s, you know, first there was the space race to get to the moon and then Mars was kind of the next thing. So there were a lot of attempts to go to Mars. Ultimately, some landers, you know, would be on Mars back in the 70s. So a long time before we got to the current, you know, things that have happened in the last 20 or 30 years with the rovers and all that stuff. So this paper was talking about even initial using some of the initial photography photography we had of Mars, and some of that would have been taken even from Earth. So using you know a long range telescope sort of thing, but trying to understand what Mars would be like so that those missions could even plan if you were going to try to land something on the planet. And it's still relevant today. I mean, think back, we've had this helicopter, right? This little drone that's now been flying around on Mars. And they really had to think about that because the atmospheric pressure is different. Everything's changed. And this all came to light when I was, you know, the new release of Dune and I am a sci-fi person. So just thinking about the weather on another planet always kind of is interesting to me. So it's still a real challenge, why? Because let's be clear, no matter how far we've advanced, relatively speaking, we're still on the this, this same planet. So we think we've come a long way and we have in terms of our understanding of this planet, but we don't really know how things are gonna hold and how much our thinking of science might change when we start to take in other atmospheres and those sort of things into play. It's kind of a cool paper. Another one was there still exist challenges in forecasting and communication. And this had to do with an article. It was really funny because these things still come up. How people that, and this was other scientists and engineers view meteorology and and what we do. And so it was a study done by somebody who sent it out to people at Texas AM University and at the Marshall um, Science, the Flight Center, right, for NASA. And there were two things that caught my attention. One was, you know, how people get weather forecast, are we communicating things correctly? But the, the funnier thing was the percentage of precipitation chance and how the same challenges that you know we've talked about on this show about goofy TikTok videos or whatever it is still existed back then. It was kind of humorous. The last one was as much about how ethics and how we get data and learn things change this was an article in the 70s and this was in the journal of biometeorology and it talked about the the title didn't imply this but it was talking about how we regulate temperature in our bodies and the role that skin plays versus you know deep core temperature and stuff like that and it was an experiment where people that had spinal injuries so they had areas of their body that they could that were lacking senses, if you will, going forward, and how their body regulated temperature. And I thought to myself, well, one, I'm sure they got consent of all these people, but I I imagine in this day and age that there may have been some ethical challenges or those sort of things because they were still subjecting the body to things that was pretty intense. And I do wonder, you know, with our knowledge and what we've learned, have we learned that, you know, maybe there is a chance for reversing their injury and are are you doing damage to their body that might be permanent if even if this other thing can be reversed? I don't know. It was kind of intriguing. But what I also found intriguing was what it, you know, told us because it told us a lot about how somebody dealing with a physical condition where they can't sense the things the same way that maybe I can would deal with temperature changes those sort of stuff and we've talked about all that stuff recently I don't know it, w- it was very intriguing and it might have to do with for instance if you look at the Paralympics versus regular Olympics how athletes would even be able to handle different situations I, it was it's very intriguing but all this stuff, what did it say to me in the end? There's a lot of stuff that's really changed, and there's a lot of stuff that's the same problem, almost identical problem to the way it was 50 years ago. I don't know. Intriguing. Hope you found it interesting. And like I said, I may try to do this sort of thing and you know, maybe do a deeper dive on a specific article. Uh, this time I was just kind of doing a glossy thing see what it was like. But just remember, right? So the next time you're wondering what the chance of rain is, and in the same time you're going, what year is this? Just remember, there's much more to weather than the weather itself.